I'm Mike Mall. I'm a member here at Lakeview Church. I get the opportunity once in a while to bring a sermon, and I am very thankful for that. I just want to start out. I'm going to say just a short prayer of protection for our kids, as uh, there seems to be a lot of violence in our country. I just uh, want to take a moment to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you've blessed us uh, in our children's ministries and how you've blessed us, our families with children. Just pray for your protection over them, that you would be watching over them uh, in all facets of their lives, Lord, as we uh, strive to teach them about Jesus and your ways. Amen. Now, I want to thank Stephanie and the worship team uh, for the wonderful worship. A lot of times uh, on a Sunday there, that I'm going to uh, preach, I'm standing there worshiping and enjoying it and thinking maybe we could just sing for the whole hour and I, and I wouldn't have to get up and preach, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. The Spirit hasn't moved in such a way that they stop singing. They always seem to stop singing. And so uh, I end up doing the sermon, which is to be expected. I also want to thank Robin Ether and the team that helped decorate the church for Christmas. It looks wonderful. Robin was at first service. But uh, I like the poinsettias in the fireside room and the tree in the lobby, and I want to thank them in advance for all the work it's going to be to take the decorations down after Christmas, because that's just as much work. So thank them for that. I can't believe we're less than three weeks from Christmas already. It seems like we just slammed the door on 2020, and we're looking forward to 2021, and now that's almost over. Some things have been better. In a lot of ways, it seems we're in the same exact exact spot that we were a year ago, but time uh, goes by very fast. Time goes by so fast, in fact, that we're already in week five of our series called The Way of Life as we teach through the Beatitudes. Now, uh, the text for today is Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. But before we start talking about mercy, I want to just kind of do a review of where we've been in the Beatitudes because I think uh, review is a good thing. So I've got a slide that shows all eight of the Beatitudes kind of in shorthand, the ones that uh, Wayne just read through. The first four are often seen as uh, things that happen to us as we come to faith, kind of steps on the journey to understanding uh, the gospel, and the last four are often seen as results of our faith, results of walking with Jesus, things that our life will show. Uh, two and a half weeks ago, in the church email that came out, uh, John Fevig did the devotional. John's over here. Raise your hand, John. Uh, that's a screenshot of his devotional, and the book that he mentioned in that devotional, his devotional was about the Beatitudes and reference this book by Colin Smith, uh, Momentum, Pursuing God's Blessings Through the Beatitudes. And in there, uh, John shared that Colin Smith divides the Beatitudes up, not four and four, but three and one, three and one, and he divides them up this way. The first three are kind of the roots. The next one is a shoot. Then we have uh, five, six, and seven are the fruit of our walk, and persecution is just kind of something we can expect along the way as we do life with Christ. So I want to review those first Beatitudes before we start talking about number five. So poor in spirit, what's it mean to be poor in spirit? You realize you can't measure up to God's standard, right? You're always going to miss the mark 
there's nothing you can do. A lot of times, maybe if you have a desire to see where somebody stands spiritually, you'll ask, ask them, if you died today and you met the Lord tonight, he asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? That lets us know what their thinking is, lets us see into their heart. I've asked that question to people. Usually, if it's not somebody uh, that is in relationship with Jesus, they'll pause and they'll say, well, I'm a good, I'm a good person. Uh, I volunteer at United Way. I go to church once in a while. I'm nice to people. Something along that line, right? So what they're describing is what? What they bring to the table. They feel like, okay, I'm meeting with God. What do I bring to the table? I bring my good works, right? Those of us who understand the gospel know that what? There's nothing that we can bring to the table except faith, our faith in Jesus. And, of course, that's a faith that God gave us, right? So we really can't bring anything to the table. And whenever I hear that phrase, bring something to the table, I'm reminded of my good friend in high school. When we were in college, his older sister got engaged. And I asked him, well, what do you think of your future brother-in-law? And my friend said, he doesn't bring anything to the table. And I, I always am reminded of that because he saw that marriage as a kind of a business transaction and he didn't think his future brother-in-law was holding up his half of the deal. So they're still married, so it worked out. But uh, I'm always reminded of that. So that's what it means to be poor in spirit, to realize we don't bring anything to the table. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, what do we mourn? Mourn is always related to sin. So we mourn our sinful nature, and we mourn what our sinful nature cost God, the price that Jesus had to pay for that. And then Colin Smith in his book talks about, it's called momentum because there's kind of an order to these Beatitudes, right? They're not random. They kind of make sense as we go through them. And so the momentum from understanding where you are spiritually, being poor in spirit, and mourning that should lead you to a meekness, right? So being meek is being humble, gentle, not being easily offended. Those are signs of meekness. Living in submission to God and living in submission to others. Now, in church, a lot of times we say the definition of what meekness is what? It's power under submission, right? Because we think of Jesus as modeling uh, meekness and all of the Beatitudes, then so, we know that Jesus had all power in heaven and on earth, so we think, well, meekness is power under submission, but do you need power to model meekness? I don't think so. If you're an 80-year-old woman living on public assistance with no kids, no money, and no friends, can you be meek? Yes, you can live in submission to God and to others, can you decide not to be meek? Can you raise your fist at God and say, hey, I'm going to do it my way? Yeah, you can. So meekness is an attitude of the heart. And of course, if we're poor in spirit and we mourn and we have a meekness about us, that will lead us to what? Should lead us to a hunger and thirsting for righteousness, a desire to do things God's way, to, to have justice and righteousness in our lives and in the greater society, as Andy talked about last week. And I like uh, this idea of number four being a shoot because a shoot is the first sign of life. Hey, there's life there. So when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, a lot of times they'll 
uh, say a prayer as part of that process. And a lot of times the prayer includes something like, Jesus, please come into my heart and help me to be the kind of person you want me to be. I have a desire to please you, Lord. I have a desire to do it your way instead of my way. That's often kind of the first sign of spiritual life. And of course, after we come to faith, that desire to, to, for righteousness should continue. Of course, as we do life, what? That a lot of times kind of ebbs and flows uh, during the seasons of our lives. And during uh, certain seasons, we seek God more and other seasons, not as much. But it should always be there. Now, I have three Bible passages to share with you today. Uh, two of them are, are kind of long, so hang in there with me. But I think they do a better job of showing God's heart on this issue than I could do by just standing up here and talking about it. So that's why I'm sharing them. The first one is from Luke chapter 18. And I think this shows these Beatitudes at work. So Luke chapter 18, verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I think this does a good job of showing uh, those beatitudes in action, those attitudes of the heart, because was the Pharisee poor in spirit? No, right? He was, he was, in his own eyes, rich in spirit. Did he mourn? No. He thanked God that he wasn't like the bad people. Was he meek? No, he was proud. Did he seek righteousness? No, he thought he already had it. He was thankful for the righteousness that he had. What about the tax collector? Just the opposite, right? He was poor in spirit. He mourned it. He was meek. He stood off in the corner. He wasn't trying to get attention. He knew he was a sinner and he needed saving. He cried out to God for mercy. He sought righteousness. And Jesus, Jesus says the tax collector went home justified. He had right standing before God, not the Pharisee. So I share that parable because I think it fits in well with the Beatitudes seen as markers along the way of life as we do life with Jesus. So, back to our list of the eight Beatitudes. Seen as a progression, the first four, okay, you have a desire to do things right, to do things God's way, you want to walk with him. Maybe the first fruit of that, the first marker of that will be you display mercy to other people. We're called to love our brothers and mercy is love in action. So blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As we express mercy to other people, uh, we'll receive it back, and God will give us more mercy uh, as we do life with him. Now the next passage I want to share is from Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. This is something that actually happened. It's not a parable, but it has a parable inside it. Inside of it, this is called Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Verse 36. 
When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Of course, Jesus knows what he's thinking, so Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And then Jesus shares this parable. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged, judged correctly, Jesus said. And Jesus continues with some pretty strong words for this Pharisee. He says, Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. That phrase at the end, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Now, nobody raise your hand. But raise your hand if you've been forgiven little, right? None of us have been forgiven little. Either we haven't come into relationship with Jesus yet and we haven't been forgiven at all, or we've come into relationship with Jesus and the Father through him and we've been forgiven much, right? There's no middle ground. Nobody's been forgiven just a little. Now, if you're wired a little bit like I am, once in a while you might think, well, you know, when I think... I think when Jesus got to me, I maybe soaked up a little bit less forgiveness than average, right? Just maybe when he got done with me, he had a little bit left over for my neighbor who I think might need it more, right? You, you tend to think that way if we're honest with ourselves. Now, we wouldn't, you know, maybe express that out loud, but we might think that to ourselves. But nobody's been forgiven little, although the Pharisee and all of us might like to think that once in a while. But my point here is this. God's mercy leads us to love. The woman had been forgiven much, and because of that, she expressed great love to Jesus, much more love than the Pharisee expressed. So God's mercy leads us to love. I've got one more parable I want to share, which I think illustrates God's attitude on this beatitude very well. This is from Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So the, the custom of the day was you were expected to forgive somebody three times for the same sin. After that, they had worn out their welcome you weren't obligated anymore. So by suggesting seven, Peter was, you know, going above and beyond, saying, hey, I think maybe we could forgive seven times. And Jesus basically says, 
don't bother counting, you need to keep forgiving. Or Jesus could have told Peter, well, Peter, how many times do you want me to forgive you? And Peter's answer would be the same as my answer and the same as your answer, which would be what? Please, Jesus, don't count, just keep forgiving, right? That would be my answer. Don't keep track, just keep forgiving. So that's what Jesus tells Peter. And then he uh, goes on to tell this parable to help Peter understand. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, so not very much in comparison. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Very strong words. That's how the Father sees us. We've been forgiven this huge debt that no way could we ever repay. We could work for eternity and never pay the debt off. Jesus paid it free and clear. And yet we turn around in our human nature and somebody owes us something small or some small sin against us and we don't want to have mercy on them, right? We're happy to receive mercy we don't always want to give it so much, right? Or we might look at somebody and think they don't deserve mercy as if, as if we do, right? You can't deserve mercy. So that parable shows God's heart on this. He knows how much he's forgiven Mike Maul. I don't know how much. I can think about all my sin and how much he's forgiven me, but God really knows how much he's forgiven me, and it's a lot. It's not a little, it's a lot. So because of that, God expects me to be very forgiving in others as I model God's forgiveness. So my point here is this. We are called to be merciful to others because God is merciful to us. So mercy is part of God's essence, part of his nature. It's part of who he is. It's not all of who he is. Uh, he's also righteous and just. But mercy is a big part of who he is. I want to share with you Psalm 145, 8 and 9, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. The same thing in the NASB translation says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. 
Now, that's two translations of the same two verses, and I do that to show you that in the first one, the NIV, it says, God is slow to anger and rich in love. In the NASB, that rich in love is translated great in mercy. And then, uh, the Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. So the NIV uses the word compassion, where the NASB uses the word mercies. So my point there is that compassion and mercy, uh, love, they're all kind of combined and related, and you can't really draw strong dividing lines between them. And depending on what translation of the Bible you're using, you're going to get different words used in the same verse. But God is very merciful and patient with us, and he desires us to have that patience and mercy with other people. I've got a few verses that shows uh, some of what God expects of us, starting with Micah 6.8, very well-known verse. It says, And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, so that's seek righteousness, and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. James 2.13 says, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Again, very strong verse showing the heart of God and what his expectation for us is. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So God forgives us. He expects us to forgive other people. Now, I'm going to share a story about God showing mercy in my life, which might seem like a weird story to be an example of mercy, but for me at the time, it was kind of a big deal. Back in the 90s, I was working on a job site. Uh, I own a construction company that does earth moving. So we were adding on to a warehouse, doing the excavation for it, and one corner needed some fill below the footings. I got a picture here on the left-hand side. That's a couple of frost walls. So that's for a house. So I'm doing a warehouse, so it would have been much uh, bigger, but the same concept, that same four-foot wall. And I had, was filling one corner, so I pushed some three-inch clear stone out, which is clear, which means it has voids in it. But we were filling in over some mud close to the water table. And then that was about, the top of that rock was about a foot below the bottom of that footing or that little flat spot they pour on the ground to set the wall on. And so I put sand on there, and then they came and they poured the footing and they poured the wall. And this was early in the year. And then over the weekend, we got about eight inches of snow. And that big warehouse we were adding on to, all that snow melted off the roof, ran down, ran into our excavation. Our wall hadn't been backfilled yet. And then in the corner of this building, we had a little sump pump in a five-gallon bucket that was plugged in. That was pumping water out because we were close to the water table. So all weekend, water was running in the trench and getting pumped out of the trench. And so what happens? Some of that sand migrated down into the voids in that clear rock. So I show up to work on Monday morning, and the corner of that building has settled a couple inches, and there's a pretty good crack about 40 feet from the end of the wall. So I am just sick and stressed and worried. Of course, I pray to God, hey, Lord, appreciate it if you'd look out for me on this one. Have my back. Give me favor, right? And uh, 
Not that I expected him to heal the crack, but I just like, hey, help this to work out as best as possible. And so I called the general contractor. He comes out. We stand outside the wall. Again, it's not backfilled, so we're looking at the crack. I said, yeah. said, uh, the end of that wall is settled. He says, well, I know it has because the crack is wider on the top than it is at the bottom. And he says, he says, but it's okay. It's a steel building, like the buildings on the right. It's a steel building. It'll stretch. So I thought, wow, cool. That's great. He's not concerned about it. Uh, normally, a general contractor would be, right? So he says, I'll just have the soils guy come out and look at it. And so the soils guy comes out to look at it, and uh, he was an older guy, seemed pretty old at the time. Looking back, he might have been about my age now. <laughs> but at the time, he seemed ready for retirement. Anyway, I, I still remember that. With him, we stood inside the building, and so the wall's this high, and he, he went up to the crack in the wall, and he looked down towards the corner, he went like this. He said, that's as straight as an arrow. So that hasn't settled at all. If it had settled, it would be all stumped over in the corner. Well, I kind of chuckled because, of course, it was straight. It was one chunk of concrete, right? The problem was it wasn't level. It, it had cracked and settled. But he didn't, he didn't think anything had to be fixed. So I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And then the owner came out, and the owner says, did you see the crack in that concrete wall? And I said, Yeah. He said, yeah, I got on the concrete, guys. I told them they should have put joints in that wall to control the cracking, just like they did on the warehouse that we're adding on to. And I said, yeah, they should have. That would have helped. And, and there's more to the story about, like, when they wanted to go pour the floor and, like, you know, what do you do? How do you pour a level floor in a building that's not level? But anyway, it all worked out. And I think 25 years later, uh, back to how God was merciful in that situation to me and... He gave me favor with some men that wouldn't have normally seen things that way. So I can point to that and say God was very merciful to me in that, and I appreciate that. Now, I want to share... The, mercy can have different components to it, so I want to share three little kind of definitions of mercy. The first one is compassion shown, especially to an offender or to one subject to one's power. So that might be like a judge, right, has the power to throw somebody in jail. He might have mercy on them. Or if somebody owes you money, you're a debtor to them, right? You're a slave to the lender. They can have mercy on you. The second definition, a blessing that is an act of divine favor or compassion. So that's God at work, right? And the last one, compassionate treatment of those in distress. So I, I think about that. So... Uh, you don't have power over somebody in distress, but you can help them. I think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus, at the end of that parable, says, who was the neighbor to the man? And, and the guy answers, the one that showed him mercy. The one that chose to show him mercy because he was in distress. But in all of these, mercy is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, it's an action. So it's compassion that is expressed or shown. Uh, it's a blessing that is an act. It's compassionate treatment. It's not just a feeling. It's something you actually do. So we look at John 3:16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So it's God's love that led him to action, right? His love led him to be merciful to us, but it all starts with God's love. 
Romans 5, 8, right? God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He initiated the love and the mercy. Now, James tells us that faith without works is dead. So my question is, if faith without works is dead, faith should have evidence, what is love without mercy? If you claim to have love but can't point to acts of mercy in your life, do you really have love? Hard to say, huh? Now, Jeff is here. Jeff is my brother in Christ, so I love him, right? With a very brotherly, uh, manly kind of love. Does that love do Jeff any good? Not really. I might say hi in the lobby or something, but it doesn't really do him any good. Now, if Jeff had a need and I could help fill the need, would that do him some good? Yes. If he needed help moving or had an issue at his house or... Uh, needed an advice on uh, dealing with Amy, or not that, not that he would need that, just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, it's the mercy that is a result of our love that really matters in the end. So if you have a car that you could give to somebody, Wayne announced somebody has a need for a car, that's a way that you could show mercy. But mercy is often the result of need, right? There's a need there, so you're merciful. Uh, quick story from my life. I had a need that I expressed to Dixie in the 90s when I asked her out on our first date. So it was October 7th, 1996, Monday night, during halftime of the Monday night football game. I called her up and I got her answering machine. This is back in the day when you actually had an answering machine. Remember that? And I left a message. I said, hi, this is Mike Mall. I've got two tickets to the Lori Morgan concert on October 17th, and I need a date. I don't know if you like country music, but if you're interested, give me a call. So she picks on me uh, about that message that I left, and she wishes she had kept a copy of it. But uh, that's not the way I would advise somebody to ask somebody out. But I expressed a need, right? I said, I need a date. She had mercy on me. She called the next day, and she said, I'll go out with you. And eventually... Uh, the order was a little reversed. Love leads to mercy. But in that case, she was merciful to me, and it led to love. And so she expressed mercy by going out on a date with me. So how this all works is, next slide, God's love leads to God's mercy. His mercy in my life and your life should lead us to be merciful to others. As we are merciful, God will show us more mercy. I noticed the words are up there. I've never seen that before, believe it or not. Now I can just look there. That's great. Anyway, as we're merciful, God will show us more mercy. So as you wrap things up here, I just want to uh, review these first five Beatitudes, and you can spend a moment to think about how you're doing on each of them. Are you poor in spirit? Do you realize your spiritual standing before God? Now, if we are believers, if we've come to faith in Jesus, our spiritual condition changes, right? We're declared righteous. We're part of God's family. Everything changes. But we can still have an attitude of, hey, Lord, I know how much you forgave me. I still mourn over what my sin cost Jesus. That should bring out an attitude of thankfulness in our heart, and it should lead us to be meek and humble and not be easily offended by others. 
It should affect how we treat people and our attitude towards ourselves. It should make us want to seek God, to do things his way, to live under submission to him, to trust that he has our best interests in mind, and we should do things his way. And the first result of that, outward result of that in our lives, should be us expressing mercy to other people. Now, my last slide is this. When was the last time you showed mercy to someone? Uh, this week in the car, I said to Dixie, I said, I'm trying to think about the last time I showed mercy to someone. Now, I, I'm nice to people, whatever. But when was the last time I actually showed mercy? There was a need that I filled, and I, you know, I couldn't think of anything. And then, uh, actually, this morning, going through the sermon for the last time, something came to mind. But it just made me think, when was the last time I filled somebody's need? Not just being nice to them, but they had a need, and I, I helped them fill it. And so you can answer that for yourself, what comes to mind when you think about that. And the way God works, a lot of times, if we just follow God, we're going to be filling needs that we don't even know are there. That happened to uh, my wife's niece recently in California. She bought 10 tickets to Disneyland, some special tour they have where you can go in and you can eat at a restaurant you normally can't get reservations for. Uh, you can go on any ride you want without waiting. It's kind of a big deal. So she had uh, 10 tickets that she had to buy. She only had seven people, so she had three extra tickets. So there was a woman she knew, I don't know if it was through church or what it was, but her sense was that this woman is a seeker. She hasn't come to faith in Jesus, but she's interested in spiritual things. She says, I think I should invite her. So she invited the woman, and so the woman could bring her husband and their child so the three of them could use the tickets. Well, it turns out this woman was overwhelmed by the offer, and December 3rd, two days ago, when this happened, was the anniversary of her mom's death, and it was a big deal for her, and she dreads Christmas, and, and so this meant a lot to her. So that's a case of uh, Lily, my wife's niece, was meeting a need that she didn't even know was there. So Lily can look back at that and, and see God in action through that, making that work out, and hopefully Lily will have opportunities in the future to share the love of Christ with this woman. So if we just follow God, God will lead us to filling many of these needs. So I'm going to close in prayer before uh, Steph comes back up to lead us, and just that God would give us opportunities to show mercy to people. Dear Heavenly Father, we are amazed in awe of the mercy that you've shown us through Jesus. All we have is because of his sacrifice on our behalf. We thank you for that. We thank you uh, for bringing us to a knowledge of Jesus and what he's done for us. Pray that you would be at work in our lives, continuing to draw us to you. We pray for opportunities to share your love with others. Please lead us step by step into providing for the needs of others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.